This is the story of how being Maltese in London and in Britain during the second half of the 20th century was, well, often problematic. My parents came to London in 1963, when I was just a year and a half old, and for the next 18 years we hardly ever interacted with other Maltese people, only family who came to visit. I used to think that we were one of the very few Maltese residents of London. Of course, that wasn't true. I was to discover that my parents had protected me from the myths about the Maltese that were, for a time, all pervasive, not just in London, but all over the UK. This is the first podcast from a new department here at South Mims U, our School of Maltese Studies. It's led by a frequent contributor to this podcast, Victor Emmanuel Samit Smith, an international scholar who is also a financier of, well, some repute. Isn't that true, Victor? <laughs> That's uh, almost true. Let's say that in financial circles I'm notorious, though also loved by my clients. And you're determined to examine areas of Maltese history which are usually neglected, aren't you? Yes. Maltese history is often taught in rather stuffy ways. I want to bring some life to the subject. That's why I encouraged you to talk about your own experience. Indeed, and you are very persuasive. <laughs> Most Maltese people are. Now, actually, um, I have a flight to catch. Can we talk in the taxi? Oh, uh, well... Do you, do you have to re leave right now? Yeah, yes, right now. Oh, OK. Well, well dear listener, uh, we'll kick off the programme with a recreation of a scene I experienced all the way back in April 1981. I'm with a girl I was dating at the time. We'll call her Alice. And we were heading to her house so that I could meet her parents. Uh, forgive the acting, but uh, you'll see why the scene is so important as the programme unfolds. Uh, the car is here. Let's go. Oh, oh I'll... I'll be back after the scene. Uh, coming, Victor. Coming. I've never been to Cricklewood before. It's West Hampstead. Don't ever call it Cricklewood in front of my parents. Oh, right. So sorry. You don't have to apologise. You apologise too much. Oh, sorry. I mean, yeah, no, sorry. Uh, uh, oh. My mum is one of those lower middle class people who wants to edge up the social ladder and calling Cricklewood West Hampstead nudges her a little closer to upper middle class Nirvana. Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I'm, my mother's very class conscious. I mean, Malta is a very class conscious place. Oh, yeah, and um, there's something else I want you to avoid. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't even mention Golders Green. No, no, it's nothing to do with Golders Green. What is it then? Well... The fact that you're from Malta. What about it? Don't mention it. Don't mention it? But but they're bound to ask. I mean, my surname is hardly English. Well, say you're Italian. Why? Well, just avoid the subject. But why? You've got to tell me why. My dad, he, 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 he doesn't like the Maltese. Doesn't like the Maltese? Why am? Did he go on holiday there and hate it or something? No, no. Look, you know he runs a hotel, right? Yeah, yeah, you told me. In Bayswater. In Bayswater. And it's a nice hotel. People love his hotel. Well, what's that got to do with the Maltese? Well, the hotel next door is run by Maltese people. Specifically, uh, uh, Maltese gangsters. Gangsters? And pimps. Pimps? What are you talking about? Dad's been trying to get them out for years, but he can't. He says they're bribing the police. Look, this, this, this doesn't make any sense. Oh, come on. You must know that the Maltese are famous for being pimps and for running prostitutes all over London. I mean, you go down to Soho and half the strip clubs are run by the Maltese. Actually, I did not know that. Oh, God, you really have led a sheltered existence. Obviously, I have. I mean, I had no idea. So, no one's ever said anything to you about the Maltese and the sex trade? Like, 
Ever? Never. I mean, I, I've been told I stink of garlic and uh, I've been called a Maltese wop a few times, but my parents did a very good job protecting me. Look, just don't tell my dad that you're Maltese and, and we'll be okay. It's a simple thing. I mean, I, I always have felt a bit foreign, but now you're making me feel like an alien. When you're an immigrant, you're always an immigrant. Well, Victor, sometimes you are part of history without knowing it. Uh, actually, that's all the time. Just follow me, we need to uh, check in. Well, I said that I'd continue the interview at the airport, yes, but but what, why do I need to check in? Because you, you're coming with me. But I can't. Of course you can. Hello, Mr Zemmett Smith. Nice to see you again. Oh, Tanya, you're looking radiant. Uh, an upgrade for my friend here. But, but I don't have a, my, my passport. Uh, who needs a passport? Oh, if you're travelling with Mr Zemmett Smith, you don't need one. Yeah, I have a special status. Oh, well, uh, OK then. And here are your passes for the lounge. Oh, uh, naturally. But, but I can't really spare the time. I mean, I, I have lectures to give at the university. Oh, just, just do them online. Everyone else does. Uh, mine are delivered by artificial intelligence-powered bots. There you are, Mr. Zemmett Smith. Tanya, you're an angel. Give my love to your mother. Oh, she was so grateful that you helped her out with her face. <laughs> Pleasure. The surgeon from Ormi owed me a big favour. Now, let's walk, Professor. Well, well, actually, I'm not a professor. Not yet, anyway, Victor. Uh, don't, don't worry, I'll arrange it. OK. Uh, oh, Victor, Victor, wait for me. Wait for me. Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. The reason your girlfriend's father harboured such a deep dislike of his Maltese neighbours, and all Maltese in general, is based on both historical fact and imperial history. It's also evidence of a British state that was ambiguous about its imperial history. OK, uh, well, explain. Right, uh, first I want to introduce you to a character from that past. He is the Chief Constable of Cardiff, James Wilson. In 1927, he petitioned the Home Secretary, Wilson, William uh, Joynson Hicks, who was known as a fierce moral crusader against vice, to recategorize the Maltese as aliens, so that he could shut down their cafes and put a stop to what he called rampant immorality prostitution and the mixing of the races. That sounds like quite a shopping list of, well, charges. It is quite a list. I asked an actor to perform a little speech created from some of James Wilson's arguments to sum up his case. Uh, listen to it while we're in the airport lounge. Oh, okay. These Maltese men are not cafe owners solely. They're, they are procurers of young women for illicit acts. I shall be frank, they are pimps. They are undermining the morals of both men and women. They are also encouraging carnal intercourse between the white and coloured races. They prey on the seamen from overseas, from all corners of our empire and beyond, and wreaking havoc with the very fabric of our towns and cities. Immorality is ingrained in the Maltese man. They may be British by virtue of being colonial subjects, but they do not have the moral fabric that we take for granted here in Britain. They are un-British, a different race altogether. Hence their tendency towards sexual depravity and their penchant for pimping. The Maltese may be European, but they are not completely so. They are somewhere in between being truly European and completely alien. 
That is why I believe the 1925 Special Restrictions Order, which refers to the control of Cardiff's coloured population, should be extended to the Maltese. They are exempt, which means they can casually open these so-called cafes and run their prostitution rings and often pimping out their own wives to all and sundry from any continent. I am convinced that their disreputable vices arise from deep inside the character of the Maltese man. That's incredible and, and startling. Hmm. Do you like the lounge? It's for VIPs and celebrities. Well, it's very, very plush and... Uh, oh, is that Johnny Depp? <laughs> uh, Johnny! Johnny, how are you? Nice, nice new tattoo. Uh, ciao. He's a bit mad, but actually he's a nice guy. That's debatable, but... Um... Uh, relax, relax. Now, this uh, chief constable, James Wilson, really had it in for the Maltese. It was true that many Maltese men opened cafes near the docks in Cardiff. It was a busy port. Many foreign sailors arrived each day, Africans, Italians, Greeks, and of course many Maltese too. Uh, because the Maltese were, by birth, British citizens due to Malta's colonial status, then it was easier for Maltese men to open businesses and live in the UK. Naturally, most were single men, so many married local girls, as did quite a few of the other seamen. That led to quite a mixed population in Cardiff. Fundamentally, the opposition of Wilson to the Maltese was racist, not just against those from an African background, but against most Southern Europeans. Wasn't this around the time that in the United States many white supremacists were working to stop Southern Europeans, specifically Italians, emigrating there? It was, and they succeeded. By the mid-twenties, the quotas for Italy specifically were drastically cut. Wilson might have been inspired by those efforts, we don't know. He probably was. The problem for Wilson was, in the end, the British Empire. Malta was a key part of it in the Mediterranean. As the experience of the Second World War would emphasise. Indeed. And Wilson was determined to racialise the Maltese so that they could be regulated in the same way as black people even those from the Imperial Dominions, who were controlled by laws like the 1925 Special Restrictions Order that covered what was termed at the time coloured alien seamen. Wilson wasn't inventing the prostitution problem though, was he? All ports are rife with prostitution. Malta itself was famous for it. You only have to mention Straight Street or The Gut, as many British servicemen referred to it at the time and since. Any port that has a constant stream of merchant and military seamen is going to have a thriving sex trade. And that contributed to Wilson's ideas. Definitely, but he was a racist in the true sense of the word. He saw people from a different background and culture as fundamentally inferior in terms of their culture and the way they lived, as well as, most importantly, their inherent qualities as human beings. That's why he used words like immoral, dishonest, debased and degenerate about the Maltese character, especially of the men. So. Were the prostitutes Maltese women? There may have been a few, but most were not. Most were actually, as far as we can tell, British, specifically Welsh. Women from the local area who married or lived with Maltese men. Was Wilson right about the extent of the Maltese prostitution trade? No, no, he exaggerated it. An exceptionally good article on this subject uh, by Simon Jenkins called Inherent Vice Maltese Men and the Organisation of Prostitution in Interwar Cardiff shows that despite Wilson's campaign of harassment against Maltese cafe owners and other tradesmen at the time, the convictions for running a house of ill repute were few and far between. Calling all passengers for 
Ah, oh, flight. Uh, come on, uh, Johnny. Johnny, are you going where we're going? Jolly good, old chap. Hello, Mr. Zemmett Smith. Champagne as usual. Tanya, what a pleasant surprise. Yes, we're, we're doubling up as flight attendants and check-in staff today. Delightful. Uh, two glasses of Bollinger, please. Uh, oh, and uh, one for my friend here. Oh, um, actually, I don't drink. Come on, don't be such a party pooper. Well... Actually, um, uh, Tanya, just bring us the bottle. Right away, sir. As ever, an angel. So, uh, to get back to the story... Uh, yes, the story. Your story. Now, that prospective father-in-law you went to meet in 1981 would have been brought up on stories about the Maltese and their penchant for the sex trade. And the reason he was so prejudiced against the Maltese extends back to Chief Constable Wilson's campaign. His petition to the Home Secretary made the papers locally and then nationally. So Wilson actually started a media campaign as well? If you want to use the modern parlance, then uh, yes, he went viral as much as you could in the late 1920s. Uh, let's hear another quote from the jolly old chap, shall we? Okay. The Maltese man is innately exploitative. He is immoral and dishonest to the core. His disreputable vices are ingrained from his early environment. The Maltese man does not and cannot appreciate the British point of view with regard to prostitution. To them, it is a commonplace of life and a matter of business. That does sound racist. It's completely racist. Imagine saying that about any modern immigrant population now. You'd be cancelled in an instant, and deservedly so. And the press ran with his ideas? They did. The national press, especially the Times of London and the Daily Herald, ran articles about the moral swamp that was the Cardiff Docks, the Maltese-run cafes, which encouraged immorality and, here's a good word, polyandry, which was uh, resulting in a bloom of what were called at the time half-caste children. It's a phrase we don't use anymore, but back then it was common, and many people looked down upon such children. One paper claimed that their lives were devalued as a result of their origins. Polyandry. <laughs> the practice of having more than one husband at a time, or male mate. It was used to describe how the white women would marry a Maltese, and then, uh, well, you can guess the rest. Oh, that's a strange word. I suppose bigamy is the male version? No, no, that's, that's the legal definition of being married to two people at once, illegally. Anyway, uh, this isn't about words and their definitions. The Daily Herald and the Times began to refer to the Maltese as coloured, the pejorative description of anyone who didn't look like a British person. Did they do that directly? Yes, they described the cafes which were run by the Maltese as being run by coloured people. Again, this reminds me of what was going on in the United States. There was a big backlash against mass migration from southern Italy and Sicily, and in some places Italians were even lynched. Mm, thankfully, that kind of thing didn't happen in Britain, uh, though there was violence against Maltese men, as well as other immigrant groups. But Chief Constable Wilson failed in his efforts to restrict the rights of the Maltese, didn't he? He did, but he never stopped trying. By 1930, he was pleading with the Home Secretary to have an official statement issued which blamed the Maltese specifically for transforming the nature of prostitution in Cardiff. He said that, and I quote, 
the old-style brothel, which was a house kept by prostitutes for their own purposes, has been transformed into a so-called café, in which prostitutes and immoral women, under the guise of waitresses and dance partners, cater for the sexual license of the floating population. Now, wasn't that part of a trope that was quite popular in the 1920s? I mean, the things like the flapper, the good time girl, and the nightclubs and speakeasies, where men paid so-called dance partners for, well, a good time. Oh, you're so coy. Yes, you're right. The Home Secretary, Joynton Hicks, had been cracking down on illegal nightclubs in London for years. In fact, he targeted one famous female entrepreneur, Kate Mayrick, an Irish woman who moved to London in the 1900s. She ran a famous club called The 42, as well as many others, and was regularly imprisoned. She became both famous and notorious, and it's clear that she did use dance partners to make her male clients, many of them from the upper classes, happy. In fact, two of her daughters married into the aristocracy, so that's the wider context. Well, this is fascinating. Ah, we're landing. Oh, oh, actually, uh, Victor, I forgot to ask where we're going. Oh, you'll, you'll see, you'll see. Uh, buckle up. Victor, I don't think I like this. I, I, I've never been in such a small plane before. <laughs> don't worry, I got my pilot's license over a month ago. Um, Victor, I think you need to avoid that mountain, don't no, you? It's just a hill, old oh. chap. Now let's continue. All right then, well, we, we were talking about the moral panic around good time girls in the 1920s. Indeed, yes. Well, the Maltese were blamed for recruiting them. They were said to prey on vulnerable teenagers or young women who were from broken homes, and they would employ them as waitresses or cooks in their cafes and then turn them into prostitutes. Was it true, though? It was sometimes true, of course it was, but it wasn't as widespread as Wilson claimed. He was simply being racist and covering for the failings of his own police force. The more he railed against the Maltese, at one point he called them despicable creatures who brazenly flout the moral code of this country, the clearer it was that his own ability to police Cardiff was waning. Did Wilson even see the Maltese as European? I don't think he did. He used the fact that Malta's at the very edge of what is usually known as Europe. It's close to the North African coast, and the fact that the Maltese language is a Semitic one, close to Arabic, didn't help. I often wondered about that. I mean, I get curious looks when I tell British people that, that the Maltese call God Allah, even though, as a country, Malta is very, very Catholic. Like you've said, it's the same problem that many southern Italians faced, and still face. I mean, the Northern League in Italy has a history of demeaning southerners for some of the same reasons Wilson picked on. Okay, so despite Wilson's bile, though, nothing really changed, right? In 1935, the Home Office did propose to require the Maltese to obtain a special certificate under the Aliens Act we mentioned before. Any black immigrant had to have one so that they could work or live in the UK. But the Maltese government campaigned vigorously against it. They said that the Maltese were British citizens and that any restriction on Maltese employment in the UK would have a devastating effect on the economy in Malta. 
which depended on workers sending back their wages to their wider families. Unemployment was a big problem on the island at the time. But it didn't happen. It didn't, thankfully. So Wilson failed. He failed, but where he did succeed was in entrenching views about the Maltese, especially Maltese men, which persisted until the war. I see. Ah, time to land now. I'm not that good at this part. Oh. Yeah, switch off the microphone, there might be some uh, swearing. Uh, okay. Is it on? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, it's on. You're looking a little less green, old chap. Uh, well, I... I, I, I still feel a little queasy. Yeah, you're in one piece. Come on. Uh, drink up that whiskey. It's a ten-year-old Isla. Oh, 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 it, oh, it tastes like soil. It's good for the soul. Now, let's link that story of the racist chief constable to your encounter with the Welsh hotelier, the man who could have been your father-in-law. But thankfully wasn't. Indeed. Wilson did keep going. He tried again in 1940 to mark the Maltese as aliens. But by then, the Second World War was the main focus of everyone's attention, and of course, Malta's heroics during the siege by the Italians and Germans transformed the image of the island. Oh, right, of course. The whole island being awarded the George Cross by King George VI was a big, big deal, wasn't it? Yes, the George Cross was a very big deal, as you put it. Strangely, it made the post-war image of Malta much more complex. It was revered for its courage and stoicism, while the attitudes Wilson had engendered were still all-pervasive. And of course, the link between male Maltese immigrants and prostitution and pornography in post-war London became the subject of headlines again, especially in the 1950s. Which was when Alice's father would have been starting in business. Yes, exactly. And my parents would have known about that reputation, right? Definitely. So they did protect me from it. I might have done the same. I think the 1950s and 60s would be a great subject for another podcast, don't you? Mm, I do, especially as, my dear chap, you ended up briefly working for a Maltese gangster in the 1980s. Well, in- inadvertently, when I was a young advertising copywriter... Yeah, still, it's a fascinating story. And it'll have to wait. Yeah, let us enjoy these lush surroundings. Oh, yes, they are lush. And, well, actually, ex- exactly... Where are we, and why are we here? Oh, you worry so much about details, dear boy. Relax. I have a few deals to make, and then we'll make our way back to cosy South Mims. You're not going to fly that plane again, are you? Hmm, perhaps. Have another drink. Make mine a double. Cheers! Oh, cheers. And, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed our first episode from the Maltese Studies Department. If you liked it, leave a review. Please check out all our other podcasts we've made. Uh, They cover a wide range of subjects and styles. Tell your friends and thank you. Goodbye.